In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. There's a difference between having an origin and having a root and a beginning and being locked in that beginning. There's a difference between having a heritage and being locked in a place in which there is no movement. And so I want, to, I want us to look today in particular at the concept of our own modern living and what it means to be in a modern world. You will get some people who will tell you that modernity is the best thing ever because there is development, there is a greater sense of achievement, etc., etc. And some people who will think, no, no, this is from Satan because actually it means you've left everything behind and you've left your origins and you've left all of those things. What we know, what we understand is that for us, everything can be good. Even the times that are most challenging, even the most difficult situations, even the times when there is greatest persecution, if there are great challenges and obstacles to our faith, they can be turned into very good times because God takes those things and transforms them. He changes them for us. Because He is what is fixed in our lives, then everything else has a new taste to it. Why do you think it is that the saints, the martyrs, were able to go to their death chanting, rejoicing, worshipping? It doesn't make sense. Why did they embrace persecution so positively? Why did they accept suffering so thankfully? It's because they were fixed in something that is so much deeper and so much more important. Psalm 24.1 says to us, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein, which actually means everything here is of God. God did not create any random bad things. Even things that look bad, that seem bad, are actually positive. They're actually good. There are some horrible-looking creatures in the world. But those horrible-looking creatures actually end up ridding us and the world of other, even more horrible creatures. There is a cycle in the world that in which some things die, but in that death, other things are born. Where there may be failings in some way, but actually, according to God's plan, there is also restoration and regeneration and renewal. So everything is God's. The fact that, and I was at a convention over the weekend, and I was saying, the fact that we, in our own strange way, decided to take poppy bulbs, cut them up, and transform them into 
substances that cause people to lose focus. The fact that we took naturally grown plants, decided to chop them up, process them, roll them, and inhale them, and they kill us. The fact that we took naturally growing grain and fertilized it and turned it into alcohol, that damages people's liver, is not God's fault. The fact that we take the beautiful things that God creates in us, like our, our ingenuity, our intelligence, and use that for evil is not God's fault. God has just given us wonderful things. We just use them very badly. We use them in a way that does not, at best, glorify Him, but actually, at its worst, presents the exact opposite of what He wants for the world. But we need to realize that whenever we're using those things, we need to look where God is. Because when we're abusing these things, God can still see us. And I'm not saying be afraid, because I would tell you that if you were five. But I think we now know, at this stage of our lives, that, well, we need to be responsible. It's not just about someone seeing me, and so therefore I'm doing the right thing because I'm being seen. But it's about me doing the right thing, because it's the right thing. Using the right thing in the right way. Not because someone's going to catch me out. Using this world, utilizing myself and my gifts in a way that glorifies God. Because what Psalm 139 verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit or from your presence? We can't go anywhere from God. God is there. He sees us. We can look at God in two ways. When you're driving down the road and you see a police car, this will be a good indication as to how you see God. Is your first reaction to slam on the brakes, check your speedometer, and make sure you're not doing anything wrong? For some people here, I think that's probably the case, because I've seen the way you drive. But, for others, it would be, oh, look, we have law enforcement officers, law protection officers who are here for our safety. And what you see, for instance, in cities like London, I see everyone nodding, not shaking their heads. No, no, I don't think that at all. I slam the brakes on. You know, there's, in London, what you'll see is when there's a heightened terrorist risk, what is one of the things that the Metropolitan Police does. It increases police presence on the streets so that you have a visible reassurance that you're protected. You only fear that presence if you're going to do something wrong. It's a deterrent. It's a reassurance for those who are living in the world properly, law-abiding, and it's a deterrent for those who are hoping to break the law. How do we see God? When I see God in my life, do I see him as a reassurance or do I consider him a deterrent? 
So do I look at him and think, thank you, Lord, for being here, for blessing my world, for being here for me, for being my net, ready to catch me, ready to protect me from things because I'm totally in your hands? Or do I look at him and say, oh, I can't do that anymore because God's here. Newsflash of two parts. The first part is that's not good enough because once you've desired to do it and then you don't do it as if you've done it anyway. Second part of that is don't do it anyway because it's even worse. Right? So don't just say the bishop said, oh, you know, if you thought about it, you may as well do it because you've done the thing. No. But that's how we see God. We look at God and think, I wish I could do this, but Lord, you're here, you're in my way, you're an obstacle. We may not say it in so many words, but that's how we feel it. Lord, you're an obstacle to my freedom. You're an obstacle to my, to my sense of, of adventure. You're an obstacle to me being able to explore the world and do in the world whatever I want. Well, no, he's not an obstacle. He's the peacekeeper. He's the law keeper. He's not here to police us. Actually, what he did is he took flesh and he came into the world to put himself in our place, in harm's way, to defeat evil, to defeat death and raise us. And until now, he stays in our world to empower us. He's not here to police us. He can police us from the kingdom. He actually stepped out of that and came into the world to live among us. Just as, and, and I know, I don't know how good or bad an example you're finding this, but just as the metaphor of a policeman could actually, through the thousands of cameras we have in London, patrol all the streets of London from sitting in a control room. But the mere fact that he steps out and walks among us, being visible, means that we feel safer. So, understand God's presence for what it is. In the world, we have a responsibility. Our responsibility is not just to be alive. Our responsibility is not just to go from day to day. It's not just to exist. That's not a responsibility. That's just, that's just an existence. God has never called us to just an existence. He calls us to be light and to be salt. And I'm, I was never very good at sciences, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But light and salt are both dynamic agents. They're not static. When light comes into an environment, it changes the environment instantly, without even doing anything, just by its mere presence. Its presence is dynamic. Is our presence dynamic? Is our presence noteworthy? Is it transformative? Because if it's not, then it's not the light that was intended. Salt 
is an active agent. The minute you put salt in your food, you know it's there. It's active, it's transformative, and it's a preservative. So we are supposed to be active, transformative agents in the world. We're not just supposed to be here and exist, we're supposed to have a presence. Because this is God's world. It's our Father's world. I'm not sure if anyone here comes from a, an entrepreneurial family, but what you'll find in these families is if there is a family business, then there is an expectation of the children to step into the family business. Even if that family business is medicine. But, but to be there and to carry it on. So, if we're going to use the same line again, we as God's children in the world are expected to have a role and a function here. We're not just supposed to be the freeloading, careless child who doesn't look at everything he or she has been given and squanders it. That's what we do sometimes. We take God's gifts, even in our own life, our own life. God's gift in my intelligence and my abilities and my skills, in my talents. Those things that God gives me and I just squander them. I wonder when we look at people who are so successful at evil in the world, how they reconcile the intelligence they have and the intelligence they have been given and how they use it. As opposed to the good, the beauty that we can make in this world. Remembering that our presence also gives light to people realizing that God is there. So when we when we read in 2 Corinthians 2 13, 2 Corinthians 13, 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. It means that God is everywhere and has given us freedom to be who we are. But let's not just be who we are for ourselves. Because quite often, when you're told you can be who you are, it's okay, fine, I can be myself. I can do exactly what I want for my own good, for my own purpose. I can express myself. But actually, I would rather us think that the freedom that we have is a freedom to be who God desired us to be. A freedom to let all of these gifts be poured out into the world and make a difference. A freedom for our creativity that rests in God. If you look at countries like Egypt and similar countries, there has been very little freedom over 
decades and centuries for people to overtly, publicly preach Christianity. And it's been a restraint. But with real freedom, if we were ever to realize real freedom, that freedom would mean that I can be the light of the world, I can be the salt of the earth, I can be the disciple, the steward, the ambassador of Christ who can go out and preach Christianity. It's a release. I can be exactly who I want to be. Someone who changes his or her faith rather than be forced to live in the shadows can actually come out and say, this is what I've chosen. That's freedom. Freedom is not just to do what suits me selfishly. Freedom is actually a freedom to be who I am meant to be. You know, if I were to use the words, be who you are destined to be, you're going to think of images of an American football or baseball locker room where people are there cheering each other on and telling them you know, to, to inspire the game. That stuff doesn't just happen in, in films. We need to inspire each other. We need to encourage each other to say, use your freedom to be who you are destined to be. And who you are destined to be is the son or the daughter of Christ. Who you are destined to be is a transformative presence in a world that needs you. The world does need you. And I've got to be careful the way I do this because I don't think as Christians we should be arrogant. When I say the world needs us, it's not because we're better than anybody else. The world needs us because we are reflective of God's life, God's presence, God's promise, God's hope into that world. Because when people see me, they see me reflecting God into others. Or do people see me anxious, afraid, restrained, holding back everything God has given me, and being that steward that our Lord spoke of, who takes his or her talent, digs in the ground, buries it, and doesn't make use of it. One thing that allows us to be free is the church. You might think, how? Because the church is actually restrictive. The church has so many rules. The church has so many things it tells me not to do. Hand, right? This hand. It's a hand. If this were severed, Sorry, a bit gory, but go with it. And sitting over here on its own, it would have no life. The only thing that allows it to be a hand, a functional, effective hand, is that it is connected to my body. That it is through the nerves, through the muscles, through the vessels, through the bones, is connected into a larger structure that is connected to 
a brain that allows it to function. Otherwise, it's useless. Each and every one of us is a member of this body. On our own, we are not empowered to do what God wants us to do. But through the fellowship, through the church, through this family, through the body of Christ, with Christ as its head, as its nervous and, and control center, allows me, as any member of the body, to fulfill my function to the utmost. The heart becomes a heart, the liver becomes a liver, the hand, the foot, everything fulfills its purpose properly. And so it is liberating in that it allows me to do what I should be doing. To look at my purpose, to look at who I am, and realize that God has plans for me. That's why St. John Chrysostom says, the church is your hope, your salvation, and refuge. It is higher than heaven and wider than the world. The church is your hope, your salvation, and your refuge. Your hope, because it allows us to be part of something bigger, and so a hand in itself has no hope to fulfill any function. Once it is part of something, it then can fulfill it. It has hope to be a hand. Salvation, because without what I receive in the church, particularly the sacraments, there is no salvation. With salvation, I need to believe in Christ as the incarnate word, my Savior. I need to believe in Him, born, crucified, entombed, risen. And I need to believe that He has taken away any boundaries, any obstacles to me being in the kingdom. Through his presence, through his incarnation, and through the sacraments he's left me. The, the sacrament of, of chrismation, which I am anointed into the church membership. The sacrament of baptism, which I'm washed of everything in the past, and I start completely fresh. The sacrament of the Eucharist, that washes me generally from my day-to-day -day things. Repentance and confession, in which I am set free and so on and so forth. Without that church, there is no salvation. And of course, refuge. A refuge is somewhere where you go when you feel anxious and afraid, and you go for protection and support. And we all know that that's where we go, to the church. Not necessarily the building, but to the clergy, to the community, to the servants, to everything that is around us. If we don't see that, then we can't see the reality of our church. Does the church have faults? Absolutely. Do our communities have flaws? Absolutely. Do people within our communities have flaws? Absolutely. Because that is the human side of who we are. Does my hand sometimes twitch? Yes. 
Does it sometimes do the wrong thing? Does it sometimes become fumbly and not pick things up properly? Absolutely. Does it mean that it is an ineffective member of this body? Not necessarily. Does it mean that it takes its strength from the rest of this body? Yes. Does it mean that it has another hand to help it? A body to stabilize it? So, yes, of course we have flaws. We have very serious flaws. But we all have flaws. Just as I may see flaws in others that may deter me, I've got to realize that others might see flaws in me as well. And I need to work on myself to do away from, with those. I need to work on myself to become better. So the church in our lives is and has always been a very important vehicle. It's not just a vehicle that takes us from point A to point B. Because, of course, what is important is the destination. But it's a vehicle that allows us to do things along the way as well. It liberates us to do things along the way. It shows us the beauty of this life. Look at most of the things that happen in the world today. Whether it be disaster, famine, injustice, war, all of the horrible things. And then look at all the activities that have over time served these situations. Disaster relief, advocacy, reconciliation. All of these things have been the function of the church over centuries. At the large scale, the international scale, that's very true, but at a small scale. How many times have you jumped to the aid of someone else just because of who you are? How many times have you wanted to support someone else because that's what you know? Because you're a member of that church. And because you are, then you are able to follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ in fulfilling that message with your gifts. We have something that I'm wonderfully proud of, which is our Coptic City Mission Ministry, our homeless ministry that's been running in this country for 14 years. We do a lot of poverty eradication and empowerment of poor people all over the world. We help those who are sick through the church, through its membership, through people who are there. I remember saying this to someone who had a meeting a few weeks ago in a, in a neighborhood. And uh, I said, well, the church does all this. And one lady, and well, I thought the comment was quite obnoxious at the time because it was out of context. She said, well, you're supposed to, you're a church. I think, well, actually, yes, you're right. I'm not running for president. You know, I'm not telling you this so you can think I'm a nice person. All I am saying is the church is fulfilling its function because absolutely that is what is required of us. But through it, we are empowered 
to work individually and or to work together. And there are times for us to work individually and there are times for us to work together. And that's what we need to focus on. There is, by all accounts, a huge amount of darkness and injustice in the world. And we sometimes suffer that injustice at our own hands. We are often our own worst persecutors. Because we don't see the liberty that God has given us. We don't see that we have a function. And because we don't see our function, we don't fulfill it. And because we don't fulfill it, we feel useless. And even more than feeling useless, we sometimes feel like we're destructive. What have I done in this world? Look at me. I've made this mistake and I've done this and I've let this person down and I've hurt this person. And We're so molded by guilt that it takes away that freedom. But what we are in Christ is free. And what we are in Christ in the world is both liberated and liberating. We are liberated by Him and by our presence in Him and His church. We are liberating of others when we present them the message of hope and of salvation and of refuge. When we say to them, Come join us. Why do you think it is we have an outreach ministry? I don't get a bonus per head from God for everyone who comes to the church. Why we do it is because there is truth in it. There is salvation in it. Because we love people. And because we love people, we need to say to them, this is where it is. It's in Christ. You can only find it in Christ. You can only find salvation in Him. You can only find freedom, liberation in Him. You can only find refuge in him. St. John Christmas began to finish. He says, the church is your hope, salvation, and refuge. The church is merely the body of Christ. And so Christ is that for us. He is liberating. He allows us to be transformative, to be light, to be salt, and to be his agents, his light, and his presence in the world that needs us. Not because we're great, but because we reflect him into that same world. And glory be to God forever. Amen.